You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking With Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the fan side of network. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Uh, the Timberwolves have a second straight off day, which is weird. That hasn't happened very much early on in the season. Today, I want to talk a couple Timberwolves notes, practice notes from uh, from Tuesday, I guess. The Wolves didn't practice on Monday. And then the G League draft was on Monday. So I want to talk about who the Iowa Wolves selected. And then I want to get into a conversation about defensive improvement and, and the impact that Josh Akogi and Carl Anthony Towns had on the Timberwolves over the weekend. And, and what that means moving forward, could the Wolves actually be a decent defensive team? Is that in the cards now with Jared Vanderbilt in the rotation? So I want to dig into that a little bit um, and then finish off by taking a quick glance at power rankings around the league. We didn't do that last week, but checking back in now that the Wolves have finally won a game, it's at least, you know, we're not talking number 30 on all these power rankings. So I want to do that. Um, coming up this week, though, uh, actually tomorrow on the show, um, a podcast between myself and Sean from Lockdown Grizzlies going to talk all things Wolves Grizzlies because there is a two game series coming up Wednesday, Friday games against the Memphis Grizzlies. So Sean and myself will spend some time talking about uh, the Grizzlies, talking about the Wolves and previewing that matchup. We'll learn a little bit more about the Grizzlies season so far. For those of you who may not have seen a whole lot of Memphis Grizzlies basketball over the past couple of weeks. All right, before we get into today's show, a quick reminder, as always, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to get your podcasts. That includes iTunes, that includes Spotify. You can also follow us on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves. That's at LockedOnTWolves. Don't forget the T. All right. Uh, first, let's talk quick practice notes. The Timberwolves did not practice Monday. They had the day off. On Tuesday, the plan, according to Ryan Saunders, was for Carl Anthony Towns to practice uh, as usual, and then provided things go well and he's not too sore and practice and shoot around or shoot around and, and uh, warm ups go well on Wednesday, that he would plan to play against Memphis on on Wednesday night. Um, of course he played Saturday, took the Sunday, the back end of the back to back off. And now, you know, got Sunday, Monday, both completely off before practice Tuesday. And then in whatever shoot around or whatever the wolves do Wednesday pregame. Um, so hopefully he'll be out there both Wednesday and I would hope Friday, obviously the wolves haven't talked about that yet, but, um, talk publicly about that, but it would be great to have him for both of those games. And if he's just, the wolves don't have a back to back now for a couple of weeks. And so if he can just, you know, you know, be on the court. And after Friday, the Wolves don't play again until Monday. So they've got another two day break over the weekend next weekend. Um, so here's hoping for, for Carl Anthony Towns back, uh, permanently for the Wolves. Um, no other major notes coming out of practice outside Saunders talked a little bit about the rotation and, and the assumption that, um, that, that he would tighten his rotation a little bit further based on how guys are playing defense and responding and, th- and that he can play with his minutes a little bit, play with different uh, players minutes a little bit notably. And, and I don't know that he spoke to this specifically, but I mentioned after Saturday's or after Sunday's game, Jake Lehman played five minutes, Saturday, zero minutes Sunday. And I mean, neither of those games, the wolves didn't have both towns and a Kogi available for either one of those games. So with both towns and a Kogi, you're talking a 10 man rotation or a nine man rotation. Plus you would think either Nas, Nas Reed or Jared Vanderbilt as your 10th guy. If they're all going to play with towns, or I suppose Ed Davis comes out of, out of the rotation. So there's your 10 man rotation would include both Vanderbilt and Nas Reed as your backup center. So provided that Nas continues to guard and play some defense, I would think he's in the rotation instead of Ed Davis at this point, given how well Nas played, especially Saturday uh, in the backup minutes behind Towns. Uh, the first couple of games this year, he didn't look great, but um, I would think that moving forward, he he's probably the preferred option as the backup center. So that's something to keep an eye on. 
Um, Related to the G League draft. So that happened Sunday. There were only three rounds. The Wolves only drafted somebody in the first round. The Iowa Wolves did, I should say. And they had the fourth overall pick. They selected Alonzo Trier. Um, Alonzo Trier, if that name sounds familiar, it's because he was a two-way player for the Knicks a couple of years ago and actually appeared in 88 games over the last two seasons with the New York Knicks and uh, was a five-star high school recruit, went to Arizona, three-year player at Arizona, and was uh, went undrafted, of course. But but I mean, was a rotation guy for the, for that Knicks team a couple of years ago. He played 64 games, averaged 23 minutes a game. In fact, never even played in the G League, despite the fact he joined them as a two-way player. And then he was on the team last year, but his minutes kind of waned as the season went on, only appeared in 24 games, 12 minutes a game. And again, didn't play in the G League at all. So for his NBA career, he's actually averaged just a hair under 10 points a game in 20 minutes per game and is a 38.4% three-point shooter. His rookie year, he shot 39.4% from deep. Um, and and really, all the metrics suggest he's he's an okay, you know, he wrote kind of a borderline rotation caliber player. And it's not a tiny sample size. You're looking at basically a year and a half, uh, or, or I guess a little over a season's worth of games, um, but but in pretty decent minutes. And you're talking about over those two seasons, I mean, he shot 185 threes at the NBA level. So that 38% is probably pretty indicative of his skill set. Uh, you look at what he did in college at Arizona, he shot 37.8%. So basically 38% at Arizona too, including 38% his final year in college. So he's going to be probably a high 30s percent three-point shooter. Um, in terms of his game, I went back and read through his draft profiles, watched some scouting videos of him coming into the league, and then also some some stuff on him with the Knicks and some different cutups of, of his time with the Knicks. And he really is dangerous in isolation. Um, he's definitely a score first guard. That was one of the knocks of him on him coming out of Arizona was that his playmaking ability is pretty limited by, he almost has tunnel vision and he has the ball. He's going to try and score. And that's just kind of what he does. Um, and I mean, at the NBA level, you know, in, in 23 minutes a game, he averaged about two assists a game. You look at his assist rate and it was, you know, over two years, a little over 13%, not great for a guy that's primarily playing the two guard, um, you know, six, four, his wingspan is only about six, six. So he doesn't have great size. He's pretty athletic though. Um, and has been a fairly decent defender, or at least was in college. He had his moments in the NBA, but, um, you know, remember he's playing for terrible defensive teams in the Knicks the last couple of years, but there's some upside there defensively. His, his lack of length limits him a little bit, but again, being athletic and being a dynamic scorer, somebody who can catch and shoot extremely well, and if needed, can score in isolation. That's not what the Wolves want to do. The Wolves don't run a ton of isolation sets. I mean, D'Angelo Russell isn't often in isolation. The Wolves are almost always um, operating out of out of the pick and roll when uh, when somebody like Russell's got the ball. I mean, they just don't run iso sets very often. And so, uh, you know, Trier doesn't necessarily fit in that sense, but he's a depth play on the wing. Obviously, he's going to play in Iowa, but it gives the Wolves the the up close. Well, I guess he's playing in the bubble this year with Iowa, but it gives the Wolves the... the um, the idea is that you get an up close look at a guy like this who's still got a little bit of upside. He's about to turn 25 here in about a week. Um, and he's he's a depth type guy. So if the Wolves were to have some issues on the wing, obviously Jalen Noel's the first guy up as as somebody who's out of the rotation, but um, you know, maybe has a similar profile as Noel in terms of a, a shoot first guy, can score in isolation, can in theory can be an above average catch and shoot player. Um and and with a little bit of defensive upside. There's some similarities there as well. So he's another one of those, you know. Uh, high upside scoring type guys who who can provide some depth at this point. Um, intriguing, certainly. I mean, somebody. It's not often that you get somebody in the G League draft who's played in eighty eight NBA games and shot thirty eight percent on threes, um, albeit for a bad team. But I mean, there's some real NBA success there, and an interesting selection by the Wolves. So a name to keep an eye on. It'll be interesting to see what he does in Iowa as well this year in the G League bubble. 
Um, but, but a good selection there from the Iowa Wolves. All right, next up, I want to talk Wolves defense. Um, I broke this down a little bit at Dunking with Wolves uh, for an article that posted on Monday. So I want to talk through my findings in in breaking down what Towns brought to the defense on Saturday and also what Akogi brought to the Timberwolves on Sunday. Before we do that, though, let's talk about our great friends at betonline.ag. Are you ready for playoff NFL action? If you missed all six playoff games last weekend, there's four more this weekend, divisional round weekend. Um, college football wrapped up last night with the national championship. Um, but obviously tons of NBA action, college basketball is right in the middle of conference play. Um, and there's only one place that has you covered and one place that we here at locked on trust when it comes to online betting. And that's of course, betonline.ag. sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. Uh, of course, NFL playoff games, college basketball, NBA basketball. Don't sit on the sidelines any longer. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. 2020 is mercifully over. It's time for a fresh start and a few more wins. If you're betting this year at betonline.ag, of course, and want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets, a brand new podcast with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They're picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get your podcasts. All right, uh, let's talk Timberwolves defense. So they still, the Timberwolves defense as a whole, um, still ranks, I believe they're 28th in defensive rating in the league. Um, and they were 30th prior to the game on Sunday. They held the Spurs to 88 points um, in, a, in a minor miracle. Of course, a DeMar DeRozan-less Spurs team. Uh, yes, the Wolves are 28th, according to basketball reference in defensive rating. Um, they are 27th in opponents' points per game, um, just raw points per game by opponents. Um, and of course, with the pace the Wolves play at, that number's not necessarily going to be the one that you want to keep a close track on. They're going to play higher scoring games this year, even if they're playing pretty good defense. Um, but the defensive rating is a little bit more indicative of the actual defensive performance. Overall net rating um, is 30th in the league at minus 9.7. So that's not good. The point differential is not good so far this year. But on Saturday, we saw Carl Anthony Towns return for the Timberwolves. On Sunday, even though he sat out, we saw the return of Josh Okogie for the first time in two weeks. Um, and if you want to play this game, I mentioned this on Monday's show. Um, in games that Josh Okogie starts and finishes, the Wolves are 3-0. And in games that Carl Anthony Towns uh, plays in, they're, of course, still 2-1. and So, I mean, clearly those guys make a difference. Um, I, I'm only partially joking. I mean, it's it's genuinely true, and I want to get into that, how big of a difference they make when it comes to the Wolves' defense. So let's start with Carl Anthony Towns. It's well documented that Towns is not a great defensive player. That's clear. We know that uh, basically for his career, he's been pretty solidly below average at the NBA level. But there's a reason why scouts, when he came into the league, thought that he had some really high upside on the defensive end of the floor. Basically, I mean, basically everybody thought that he could be at the very least an above average defender and that that he had a really high ceiling when it came to that end of the floor, his combination of length his size, his athleticism. And he's not hes not an extremely freaky athlete by any means, uh, but he's an above average athlete with above average size and above average um, you know, basketball IQ, if you want to call it that, on both ends of the floor, a very intelligent player. And um, all those things kind of combine together to create this profile of like, hey, he could defend inside, he could defend out. He's already pretty strong. You know, he wasn't he wasn't real thin when he was drafted. All these things together made everyone think that he could be a solid defender at the NBA level. And it's really been there hasn't been anything further from the truth. He's been a bad defensive player at the NBA level. And part of that is he's 
defended in multiple different schemes. Uh, that's certainly a, a chunk of it. I mean, what Sam Mitchell was asking him to do in his rookie year is different than what Tom Thibodeau asked him to do is different than what David Vanterpool and Ryan Saunders are asking him to do. Now, that only explains away some of it because, I mean, post-defense is for the most part, post-defense, if you're playing one-on-one post-defense, you know, there's only so many things you're doing. Now, Towns has always been okay as a post-defender. In fact, last year, the 2019-20 season, he was actually, I've talked about this before on the show, he was one of the league's better uh, defenders when it comes to uh, opponent field goal percentage in the paint when he challenged their shots in the paint. Actually pretty good. The problem was is that he would get himself out of position if he was help defending. He'd be a half step slow and still try and block a shot when that had no chance of happening. And it was just kind of like an effort for effort's sake thing. And he's acknowledged that. He actually said that this year before the season that his defensive positioning and his choices on whether or not to go after a shot block, uh, you know, if that needs to improve. And, and it, I think acknowledging that is, is at least a half the battle. Um, the important thing is he's an intelligent player that can understand these schemes and, and know where he needs to be and when, and then the next piece of it is, and also he has the skill set to do it. Then the next piece is actually doing it and then doing it consistently. We've seen flashes the, uh, the Jimmy Butler year, the Timberwolves held opponents under hundred points, I think it was like four out of five games, basically over like a two week stretch. More often than not, they were holding opponents under hundred points at the end of December back in 2017. The fact that I remember that so well tells you that it hasn't happened much since then. Obviously, Jimmy Butler was a huge part of that, but Carlton Towns was defending a little bit that year within that scheme that Tibbs and, and Jimmy Butler were, or Tibbs orchestrated and Jimmy Butler was a huge part of. Now, this year already, we've seen, I mean, I mean last year was the first year that David Vanterpool largely playing drop coverage in the pick and roll. And basically when you're doing that, you're giving up a lot of space in the middle part of the floor. And the idea is that you can help defend against um, the drive to the basket and still recover in time to contest a mid-range shot because even a semi-contested mid-range shot is far preferable to an open three-pointer or uh, a drive to the basket that you're a half step late on or behind if if you're trailing the the ball handler. and last year, we saw Towns dropping too far too often. We saw Kyrie Irving light the Timberwolves up on opening night. We saw D'Angelo Russell drop 50-plus on, on the Wolves in a loss with the Warriors. And the idea, again, is is unless these guys are hitting mid-range shots at an extremely high clip, you can get away with it. Um, you can give up a few mid-range jumpers a game and still be in pretty good shape. But Towns was, was dropping too far, and he wasn't locked into the scheme. And then he was hurt so much the second part of the year that it wasn't clear how much of that had stuck with him. And now this year, in three games that he's played, the two wins at the start of the season and then the win, or excuse me, the loss in overtime to the Spurs on Saturday, you can see that these concepts are really starting to take hold with Towns. And now, not only that, he's actually, he's trying uh, and I'm not suggesting that he never tried before or anything like that, but there's some consistency, at least in these three games. I get that there's some irony there. We're talking about just three games, but across those three games really start to finish. He's been really good defensively. Um, and the difference between Towns and the guys behind him are Ed Davis doesn't have the same uh, mobility at this stage in his career that Carl Anthony Towns does. He doesn't have quite the same size as Carl Anthony Towns. And while he plays in the scheme more technically sound, it's just not quite He's not nearly as dynamic, obviously, on both ends of the floor as Carl Anthony Towns. Um, Nas Reed is a, a full notch below Towns when it comes to understanding the scheme and being in the right place at the right time, and at least a half notch below him, um, whatever that means, I guess. When it comes to his athletic ability, he's long, but he's not quite as big as Towns um, height-wise, and and it's just there's it just isn't the same with Nas Reed defending. And there's a couple of examples. Um, I pulled a clip 
it from the game on Saturday where Nas was in the game and, and he dropped in pick and roll coverage and he dropped too far. And I forget who the player was, but the Spurs essentially got an, uh, an uncontested 10 foot shot. I think it was Rudy Gay because Nas was so hooked to his guy. I think it was Jakob Pertl that this was just an easy 10 footer for Rudy Gay. And that's not what you want out of this. You want Nas to be able to contest that shot. Towns has, has been doing that. Basically Nas did what Towns was doing last year. Towns so far this year has actually been playing this game perfectly. And there's plenty of examples of him, um, you know, basically zoning up the ball handler, getting in the right spot to, to discourage the drive and then get back on his guy. And there was one case where LaMarcus Aldridge tried to take him to the basket. Towns easily blocked the shot. Um, there was another case where he shot a mid-range jumper and Towns uh, bothered him enough that he missed the mid-range jumper. And we all know Aldridge is an incredible mid-range jump shooter. So Towns is understanding the scheme and making a big difference, and he's actively trying. There was another example in this game of Towns was guarding Aldridge, and the Spurs tried to run him off of staggered screens to get him an open mid-range jumper. Towns guessed the wrong direction, um, tried to get through the screen, was en- ended up trailing Aldridge, but fought through the second screen and forced him into a tough mid-range jumper that he also missed. Um, that's an example of Towns just simply working hard, and there are times in the past guarantee you it would not be hard to find plenty of clips from the last couple of years of Towns just giving up on that second screen and allowing an open two, just crossing his fingers that, uh, that the player misses. That's not what we saw against the Spurs. Um, so however much percent of Towns defensive issues in the past are, can be attributed to, uh, to a, a lack of understanding of the scheme versus a lack of effort. It's hard to say. Um, but I do know that he's got the physical skills and the basketball intelligence, the basketball IQ, if you will, to to be successful. And now that he's had over a year in this defensive scheme and you know, five years into the league, the excuses are quickly going away. The Wolves have enough decent defenders from now with Jared Vanderbilt to Josh Akogi to Ricky Rubio. Um, the Wolves have enough defenders around him that it's time for Towns to show that he can consistently be an above average defender and make a big difference for the Timberwolves as a team. Yes, uh, I understand the counterpoint. They gave up 122 points to the Spurs on Saturday in overtime. But go back and watch that full game. How many of those points were, I've I've talked about this extensively, were transition issues, the lack of uh, communication on the secondary break where there's a trailer that just comes down the court and gets a dunk or an open three. And then how many of those are blow buys on the perimeter where Towns isn't involved in the play or, you know, uh, isn't able to get there in time where D'Angelo Russell or on Saturday, Ricky Rubio, there were several Wolves players who just just were blown by easily by, you know, uh, DeJounte Murray or uh, DeMar DeRozan on Saturday, just just complete blow buys. And that's not all on Carl Anthony Towns to, to stop those every time down the floor. There were plenty of four on fives, just kind of some fluky and some just poor effort plays by the Timberwolves, bad communication. There wasn't much of that on Sunday. I mean, they, that mostly got corrected on Sunday. And of course, Towns didn't play on Sunday, but Clearly, you look at these three games. I mean, they held the Pistons to 101 on opening night. It was a sloppy game, and the Pistons aren't a good offensive team, a good team, period. But, I mean, the Pistons game, the Jazz game, the Wolves played okay defense for the most part. And then now you're talking about the Spurs game, which as a team wasn't great, but encouraging signs from Towns. I think that uh, I think that's really, really positive. Uh, next, what I want to do is I want to talk about Josh Akogi defensively, what he brought on Sunday. It's a little bit of a shorter conversation because I think we know what Josh Akogi can do. But I want to do that and then get into um, get into the uh, the power rankings for the week from around the league and what various sites are saying about the Timberwolves and uh, and where they rank league wide. But first, let's talk about RockAuto.com. With the ever increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless? 
or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person at the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand that their warehouse happens to carry. You have a computer with access to rockauto.com both at home and even in your pocket. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and they are reliably low. They offer the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market bears like airlines do. It's for everybody and rockauto.com does not require membership or account login. The catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are, say it with me, they're always reliably low. They're the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. March Madness is a few months away, but the future of the NBA is on display right now. Get a head start on next year's draft analysis by subscribing to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast. Draft guru Chad Ford has his first big board of the year out with profiles of Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, and more. Subscribe to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast wherever you get podcasts. All right, let's talk about Josh Kogi. So we all know he's the best defender on the Timberwolves, pound for pound. He is the best perimeter defender. He is, uh, I mean, I guess you could argue Jared Vanderbilt, depending on, um, I mean, Kogi is your best defender to switch on to smalls um, and Vanderbilt can guard bigs and some wings. So together, those two are your best defenders. They're your most versatile defenders. He's a solid rebounder, all those things. He's missed six games with the the, uh, the hamstring issue, came back on Sunday, and there was no DeRozan for him to guard, which it would have been great to have a Kogi Saturday to guard tomorrow. DeRozan, probably the Wolves win that game, frankly, if a cookie plays. On Sunday, um, the Wolves tried a couple of different things. They tried Ricky Rubio. They tried D'Angelo Russell, both guarding Patty Mills. Patty Mills started to go off a little bit in the second half for the Spurs. The Wolves put Josh Akogi on him and basically shut him down. There's one example that I pulled for the article at Dunking with Wolves that I wrote for, uh, that published on Monday. LaMarcus Aldridge goes to set a screen, uh, pretty high above the circle and Akogi actually goes under it, but he fights through it so quickly that he gets in front of Patty Mills and actually has a little bit of leverage as Mills goes to the rim. Mills kind of shoots like a weird fading layup as he floats under the basket and, and misses it. And the Wolves get the rebound. Nasrid gets the rebound and they go back the other way. This was just pure effort by Josh Akogi. And too often we've seen Jarrett Culver get knocked off of, uh, off the ball handler by screams screens. Excuse me. He's not strong enough to fight through a lot of the time. Josh Akogi, uh, knew the screen was coming and it, it surely was called out by by one of his teammates and he got underneath it quickly, got in front of Mills, forced him into a tough shot. Those are the combination effort and skill plays and also knowledge that we haven't seen from, you know, sometimes from Jarrett Culver and he's probably the next best option to guard perimeter players. Um, and, and part of the reason the Wolves, I think, will be much better defensively moving forward is Culver can still play defense. He's still a pretty good defender, but he doesn't have to play the the best offensive player on the perimeter for the other team. He doesn't have to be the have to take the toughest cover now with the Kogi in the lineup. And you can use Jarek Culver, you can use Ricky Rubio to to guard you know the next toughest perimeter cover um, and have a Kogi do all the dirty work. Also, a Kogi is going to have less of a burden on him offensively. Whereas if Culver is in the game, the Wolves expect him to do something offensively, and and he's obviously not done that recently. Um, but for a Kogi, it's basically guard the other team's best player, provide something in transition, something on the glass, and uh, and that's basically it. You know, 
maybe hit one of your three open jumpers that you get in the corner uh, for over the course of the game. But that's basically a Kogi's role. Culver needs to bring something else because he's not quite as locked down of a defender as Josh Kogi. The other reason why the defense is going to keep uh, improving is that the Wolves have basically replaced Jake Lehman with Jared Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt is a much, much, much better rebounder than Jake Lehman. He's a better defender than Jake Lehman. He can guard fours more effectively. He at least has a prayer of defending in the post. And he struggled a little bit one-on-one in the post. Vanderbilt has. But Lehman can't guard anybody in the post either. Um, and, you know, the Wolves can still start Juancho Hernan Gomez. He can still provide offense at the four. But then if Vanderbilt is getting the 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 bulk of the, the backup minutes at the four, the Wolves will be much more formidable defensively and on the glass, which are two things that they need desperately. And one of the reasons I've been talking about Jared Vanderbilt since June as a realistic option and a great fit next to Towns, we'll see how many minutes he actually gets to play next to Towns. I think a lot of that will be predicated on how much defense Hernan Gomez plays at that first unit. And also if he can start making threes on a consistent basis. Um, and uh, I think that would, that would, Otherwise, we're going to see, uh, I think, eventually a pretty even split between Hernan Gomez and Vanderbilt in terms of minutes at the four here moving forward. All right, a quick spin around the league's power rankings. Um, As you may expect, the Wolves are ranked in the bottom four in every single power ranking that I pulled. I pulled five of them. Only one had them ranked 30th, um, and that was the... Uh, excuse me, two of them did. NBA.com's John Schumann, who I, I've talked about here on the show before, he does a great job with his power rankings. He actually pulls net rating, um, defensive rating, offensive rating, net rating, and a number of other stats to kind of support his argument. He has them all in one place. So he cites the Wolves' league's worst uh, net rating, or I should say league worst net rating at greater than a negative nine, um, has them 30th, but also gives them a lot of hope having Towns back in the lineup and a lighter schedule upcoming, only two games in the next seven days and also just less playoff teams from last year in the next seven days. Uh, Bleacher Report also has the Wolves number 30. Uh, Both The Athletic's Zach Harper and then ESPN's panel have the Wolves at 28. And then Colin Ward-Henninger of CBS Sports has the Wolves at 27. Everybody kind of gave them a bump up from either 29 or 30 a week ago. In fact, uh, Zach Harper called it, uh, I think rather appropriately, a line of credit in in his power rankings. Because with Towns back in the fold, having won their last game of last week, there's and also go, taking the Spurs to overtime on Saturday. There's quite a bit of optimism surrounding the upcoming games for the Wolves. I mean, they should get at least a split against Memphis, if not winning both games against the Grizzlies upcoming this week. Um, and, and then after that, you know, it's there's a little bit of a road trip, but for the most part, it's a fairly palatable schedule, and the Wolves should be able to get themselves up out of the bottom five in the league pretty quickly with a healthy Carl Anthony Towns and a healthy Josh Akogi. The Wolves' rotation will look a lot like what they intended it to at the start of the season uh, with the addition, of course, of Jared Vanderbilt, uh, probably in the place of Jake Lehman here moving forward. So the Wolves should be competitive over the next few weeks and should find that record improving quickly from uh, three and seven, up, hopefully closer to the 500 mark by the end of the month. Um, I mentioned the Grizzlies games upcoming. Of course, as I said at the top of the show, I am recording a crossover podcast with Sean Coleman over at Lockdown Grizzlies. That'll be posted early Wednesday uh, to get you ready for Wolves Grizzlies Wednesday night and will also serve as a hopefully a pretty accurate preview for Friday's game against the Grizzlies as well. So we'll talk all things Memphis and get you ready for, for those games. Um, otherwise that's all we have for you here on today's show. Of course, we'll be back with that show tomorrow, a post game show Wednesday night into Thursday with studs and duds and reaction from Wednesday's game. And then also a show Friday, getting you ready for Friday night's game. So if you are new to the podcast, this is daily Monday through Friday. So please subscribe. Um, again, you can get this show anywhere that you like to find your podcasts, including Google podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, 
um, anywhere really. And you can also follow on Twitter at Locked on T Wolves. That's at Locked on T Wolves. Don't forget the T have been live tweeting the majority of the games this season. So be sure to, to follow us on there. Thanks once again for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast, of course, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.